Koto. Welcome to Nurtured TLC Podcast. I am Dr. Katie Furry from Nurtured Mother Baby Clinic. And I am Teresa Yaroshevich from TLC, Teresa Lactation Consultant. We honour Māori as tangata whenua in Aotearoa, New Zealand. We honour and respect the elders past and present who weave their wisdom into all realms of life. So it's been a little while since um, Teresa and I caught up and um, while we've at least on the podcast. Doing, yeah, that's right. While we've been doing our own thing, we kind of keep accumulating lists of things we wanted to discuss and share with you. Um, so, yeah, uh, one of the things that's been on my mind a lot is um, how it's only after I've been involved with um like, you know, providing lactation support and learning more about breastfeeding medicine that I really learned what good breastfeeding support looks like. Um, and, and how important it is. Yeah. Mm, and one of my bugbears is, like, you know, periodically you get these articles that come up in media or the news or something, um, and it's always some horrific story, you know, a lactastrophe, as yeah. Alison yeah. Stube calls it. Mm. And mm. I feel like whenever, and I, I, don't, I don't know why I do it, but I always read the comments, never read the comments. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the response is always, you, you know, why do we do this to mums? Breastfeeding is too hard. We put so much pressure on families to breastfeed their children. And inevitably, fed is best. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, that's the fed is best origin story as well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Like the founder had a really horrific um, breastfeeding journey. And the conclusion was that breastfeeding was the problem when actually it was the lack of breastfeeding support and actually the I keep saying actually today I don't know why but the harmful um practices like the harmful care or care and you know inverted commas that gets handed out to these families and to be clear we are very sympathetic empathetic heartbroken when we hear these stories this is not about you know some kind of hard-heartedness towards um no yeah breastfeeding difficulties and and the and the the outcomes of those difficulties are often really tragic so we do understand that we see it and we grieve with those families a lot of times when that happens Mm, absolutely um and I think when you're stuck in that situation where nothing's worked out or you know you're in pain baby's not feeding well like in the absence of adequate support you kind of just have to do what you can to keep feeding your baby and try to move on from the situation but I think what I really struggle with is because we don't recognize like, you know, if, so to, to use like the airlines analogy that gets used a lot in, you know, yeah. medical mishaps, 
like they they look at you analyze all the causes and then you try and get to the root cause and it's more often than not like a systemic thing and not this person you know did one thing it's usually that swiss cheese kind of situation yeah and um, the cascade so, of interventions often where one yeah, thing gets absolutely. started and then it's just a snowball goes yeah like goes. one thing after another after another and then yeah you go down that slippery slope of lactastrophe <laughs> yeah but i think like yes the individual needs to you know grieve and feel acknowledged and be able to express that but that's where the conversation often gets stuck instead of doing that root cause analysis looking right. at all the steps along the way when the family was you know hasn't received good care or sometimes unfortunately actively undermined um we're never gonna improve the situation for future um babies and future moms and future families if we don't put a critical eye towards what the system is like and that's it's so multi-layered as well because as you said like breastfeeding support comes from multiple different angles some of those with more experience than others and sometimes with poor integration between the various arms of support and sometimes there's just no support at all mm. yeah or it's not accessed because it's not known yeah like mm. like it was that warm chain of support we were talking about for last year's world breastfeeding week isn't it yeah it's just not there so or it's there in bits and pieces yeah and it's 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 definitely um mm not consistent. I know that's another thing we've talked about previously. Um, yeah, reading through this, this article, do you want to introduce the name of it and where we read it? Yes. So this article um, <clears throat> is called Bristol Bottle, The Illusion of Choice. Um, and it's published by um, a medical doctor in, um, I think, in America. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the New England Journal of Medicine. So that's a prestigious medical journal that lots of doctors read. Um, so this is, I think it's a prospective article written by um, this doctor who just had sound, you know, describes this horrific breastfeeding experience that's ultimately, you know, caused a lot of problems with her mental health. As, and as we know, uh, pregnancy and childbirth and um, caring for a baby is actually is already a high risk um, time totally. in terms of mental health. Yeah. So, um, and I I feel like this story is almost a caricature. Like it's it's like the the top ten of things that go wrong in a breastfeeding <laughs> story. Yeah, yeah, and. It almost feels like when I read through it, like any of dozens of mothers could have written exactly the same story. So totally. it's not like some outlier experience. No. I have to acknowledge. No. 
what I find is really remarkable is this is, you know, a medical person writing this. If it had been, if the subject had been anything other than breastfeeding, any medical practitioner would have been like, okay, well, the care went wrong here, the care went wrong here, the care went wrong here. But when it's breastfeeding, it's like people can't see that. They, they think what no. they're receiving is the gold standard of care. And, and we see immediately that it's work. not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like and, really bad. And it's such a difficult discussion to have because of, I like hate to say it, but this general ignorance. And I have to say it's taken me a long time before I could get to the stage of being able to read something like this and go, okay, I can see like where the turning points could have been. Um, so this got shared widely amongst the, um, the lactation consultant forums, medical doctors forums that I'm in. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm just, you know, particularly in the medical doctors forum, I'm like quite disappointed at that response, even though like I've been in enough of these discussions to know what to expect. Mm. It's just not that critical analysis of what could have or what actually happened and what could have gone better. Yeah, I do think that it does come down to a kind of knee-jerk, it's terrible, it's awful, we're pushing women to do something that's too hard. It's kind yeah. of... It's, and like I mean, you that's, say, this could be basically summary. written by anyone. And In so... any country. That's the other scary thing. I mean, this is not just a USA problem. It's not a New Zealand problem. I mean, I've lived in five countries and it's the same stuff. Yeah. There's some variations on it, but very predictable. Yeah. And I think we get that knee-jerk response because so many people have had this experience. So then they immediately go to their own journey and go, oh, yeah, I went through that. That was terrible. We shouldn't put anybody through that. Well, and I, you and I have talked about this and other, you've interviewed other lactation consultants that it's our own woundedness from our own breastfeeding experiences that drove many of us to become lactation consultants and to take an interest in this field because we also, um, well, I personally can say I went through something that I said in my heart, I don't want any other mother to go through this. And that was my motivation for completely changing my career trajectory. So yeah. Yeah. I could say the same thing myself and I say it all the time, actually. (laughs) That was, you know, nearly 20 years ago. (laughs) It feels a little disheartening that we're still having the same sort of stuff going on. Yeah. It's part of my other work. Just as a slight tangent, I take a breastfeeding history, very brief one. I try to keep it brief anyway. And there's, you know, grandmothers and great-grandmothers for, you know, you ask the question and it's like they're right back there. Oh, they remember every detail. Decades and decades ago. Yeah. So it's even before your time and my time. Yeah. Oh, this is, I've talked to women with very, very elderly women who, when they hear what I do, begin to share their tale of woe. Yeah. And it's again, like I always, I always see and hear as they're describing what happened, multiple, like you said, multiple points where things went wrong and could have been done much differently, presumably with 
a better outcome. But, and sometimes that does make them feel better to hear that, Mm. that it's not my fault is what, you know, we all blame ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So anyway, keep, keep digressing. We haven't got to the meat (laughs) of the article yet. So I put a couple of like signposts on the story that I'll just describe briefly. Baby was born mm-hmm. on a weekend, no LC available. Mm-hmm. Red flag. Saw the first LC two days after, and the advice was to use nipple shields. Nipple shields constantly falling off, which brings me to the question of, was it sized properly? Was she instructed how to use it properly? Was she given any alternatives to a nipple shield? Was she advised how to get additional support and when to stop? Or are we just throwing crutches at somebody who's not walking and just sending them off to fend for themselves Mm. so that was just (laughs) it was just to begin with those are the starter points that I came up with yeah and I'm from having worked with lactation consultants in the hospital setting like I mean pretty much every nothing is adequately staffed these days I was just gonna say staffing is such a nightmare they're like lactation consultant services are have always been patchy and like, magnificently underfunded yeah so just you think okay point the finger at the lactation consultant why didn't she yeah. do a better yeah. job give a better plan but it could be that she's has to see you know 20 other women. people yeah. that day and yeah. someone else is having a, or maybe two or three other people are having a lactastrophe um so you don't really know what else is going on there, just that this mother didn't receive adequate care and follow-up. And I know that a lot of the hospital lactation consultants talk a lot about acuity, which is how severe mm. the problems are. And they, mm. because of the triage concept, they go to the people who need the most intensive support. So, mm. you know, kind of painful breastfeeding is kind of like, yeah, and and there's usually one lactation consultant that covers the entire inpatient ward. I don't know how big the, their ones are. Yeah, but it depends. Like, sometimes they only do maternity. Sometimes they're covering mm. um, babies who are readmitted. Yeah, and then there's all the skibu, niku mm. levels and, of care. All of that is different. And when you think of area. how time-consuming it is to support a newborn to breastfeed, realistically one person can maybe see two or three people per half day well yeah because even when they're feeding well some newborns take a long time and you have to catch them at the right time and which is so complicated it's very tricky to you know have a list you know walk into a ward and have a list of of babies Mm. that need to be seen and try to time the time that you're there, you're scheduled to be there, you're, and how many can you see? And are they actually feeding at the time that you're there? Is it a representative feed or is it kind mm-hmm. of an outlier? And it kind of looks fine that time, but most of the time it's bad. Yeah. Um, and then, then, I mean, then you can always, you know, point more fingers and say, what about the midwife or the nurse yes. that's looking after the mom? But they're also looking after multiple people and they need medications they might need wound reviews or dressing changes they need 
like um, like blood pressure and temperature checks and and the baby and the mother. There's yeah, some babies are needing here. blood sugar checks. Some baby yeah. needs um, I don't know other blood tests and it's just chaos, really. So it's very high um, high energy requirement on the mm. staffing, but it's a high stress environment as well. Yeah. So again, this is not like a, you know, pointing fingers kind of thing. There's a lot of issues at stake of, Mm. of the staffing of the, and I've said this before, but I want to mention it again. We have a different view of inpatient than we do to later on breastfeeding Mm. and very, very few people who work in inpatient are also going to see a six or 12 week old. Mm. So that's another thing of somebody is doing a very short term fix for day one or day two. Mm-hmm. But who is following that on? Like one of the things was that um, this mother was discharged and went, they don't have like midwifery care. So went to the pediatrician's office a few mm-hmm. days after discharge and saw a lactation consultant mm-hmm. at the pediatrician's office who completely dismissed and poo-pooed the whole plan that was given by the hospital LC mm. and gave a different plan of, yeah. of, of, you know, for whatever reason, again, we don't know why that yeah. is, but that's confusing. I'm, and yeah, like we discussed in our um, conflicting advice mm. episode, the situation could be quite different. And I mean, it does sound like the initial recommendations by the time she saw the second lactation consultant was probably not working very well, which could mm. be why she changed. But time, the again, we said things change mm. over time. So, yeah, you know, it's not, maybe it wasn't necessarily conflicting because one was right and one was wrong. It could have been just that the baby's needs but, had changed at that yes. stage and the lactation yeah. is going to be different yeah. on day two than it is on day four or five. Yeah. In the ideal world, we'd have lots of time. Hmm. We can spend time explaining everything, make sure people understand. And there would be continuity. <laughs> and and the thing is, the new lactation consultant might not have known what was happening when they were inpatient. Who knows if there was some kind of a handover or if it's a discharge from this hospital, go to that pediatrician. Like, I feel like a lot of that care is very piecemeal. I mean, it's hmm. supposed to be better in New Zealand because you – ideally have a lead maternity carer so your midwife who follows you through pregnancy delivers the baby and then comes and visits you after but like more and more the shortage of midwives lots of mums don't have that continuity and added on to that I mean we've got like so far two different mentioned supporters a third comes in because at the first pediatrician visit, which is another visit altogether, as I understand the U.S. system, they'll have, you know, the first visit they'll be seen maybe by a nurse nurse practitioner, lactation consultant, something like that. And then they have, I think it's a one-week visit, but maybe not correct. But there was another visit where the pediatrician mm. noticed the weight loss and initiated yeah. what we call triple feeding or what I like to call the dreaded triple feeding. Oh, my my friend calls it the triple feeding cycle of doom, which I like. Oh, that's even better. Oh, it's yeah. just, it is. Oh, do you know when that first pediatrician visit usually is? Is it like one week, two weeks? I think one week, but it could be two. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
don't know for sure because that's um, I didn't have my children in the U.S. and didn't yeah. practice as an LC there. Yeah, mm. I just find it interesting. Sorry to interrupt you. That that's the first sign that breastfeeding was not going as expected. That's right. The pediatrician visit when the son was underweight. Like to me, the nipple shield thing was my first sign based on her account. <laughs> like and pain. I already know that this is probably not going well <laughs> even before that weight this is one of the downsides of um the physician model the the maternity care model that's physician centered in the US it's it's a big hmm. problem and i do think having you know experienced different types of of standards or systems of care i do love the New Zealand system in its concept of that continuity of pregnancy and then after birth. And I do think that that does provide better in mm. theory yeah, <laughs> to other systems because it is hard because there's, because you're seeing somebody in the U S it's a, it's an, it's an OB doctor during your pregnancy. And then suddenly you meet this new pediatrician, which you've maybe interviewed once during the pregnancy mm. and you meet them for the first time with a baby that's not gaining well. <laughs> mm. No relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And another podcast I was listening to for was one for doctors. They had the same kind of <clears throat> breastfeeding was going really well, but the baby was not gaining weight. So I'm like, like to me, the sentence doesn't make sense because those are mutually exclusive. Not... <laughs> yes. If the baby is not gaining or getting enough milk to grow on, the breastfeeding That's is not, not going, going well. well. <laughs> I do see that in well child books, though. Like this mother is is having multiple problems, and each of the visits, it's written breastfeeding going well. And I'm looking at it, going, "Is it? Is it though?" Yeah. So that yeah. So in theory, I think we've got a a bit better system going here. But the comment from that I picked up on this triple feeding recommendation. So this mother experienced this as you're having a hard time, try harder. Mm -hmm. That just broke my heart to read this. Like, how yeah. does that feel to somebody who feels like they're failing already? Because lack of weight gain is something that, that women take personally. That's not, yeah. you know, they feel like they're, you know, they're supposed to provide food and they're not doing that correctly. Yeah. And and that like final sentence is just really resonates like try harder and expect better results to magically occur and i'm like that's exactly it like yeah. what has been put in place to address what is the cause of the poor transfer or the poor milk intake or the poor the you know the low weight gain in the baby that they haven't really done anything to address that have they and then starts the mommy blogs. Oh, dear. <laughs> now we're really in trouble. She did say mm -hmm. it was physician mommy blogs. So potentially. Wow. I don't know. You're part of those, Katie. Are they better than the regular mommy blogs? The regular ones are, are quite. A I have to say not dire. Really. <laughs> dire I mean... place to read, as you and I, we talk about often. Yeah. The physician mommy blogs, I have to say. They're better than the non-physician mommy blogs in every 
in most situations except for breastfeeding oh, if it's okay. breastfeeding it's probably <laughs> just worse. as bad or worse just as bad or worse oh dear there's the, like an extra layer of i feel like i should know this this is not working as i expected and i don't really know why there's that extra layer of frustration of being used to I know, should know knowing this. things and extra guilt and shame for not knowing about breastfeeding or like baby feeding if you get my drift all right well that's not good news then I was kind of hoping it would be better but <laughs> it's not in fact I posted just this morning um like from another lactation consultant in another country this kind of funny meme about lactation consultants listening to mommy kind of forum advice <laughs> And yeah. trying to, you know, stop the tide of, of blatantly yeah. wrong information. Yeah. Like, expect better mm. results to magically occur, to find some magical cure to my failure to produce enough milk. Would we expect that from any other area of medicine? Yeah, like, your kidneys aren't working. <laughs> Do we just harder. find a magical cure to fix my kidney impairment? Or, like, no, you, you know, see your... GP or if you're in the States, your renal physician and then they put put take an appropriate history, do the appropriate investigations, yeah. come up with some kind of an answer in a way to like manage whatever condition it is. It's not like um you can't walk. Here's a wheelchair. <laughs> like you know, Off you, you go. Make, yeah, you, <laughs> I don't know. It makes me very frustrated. <clears throat> and she's sobbing. She reports sobbing through every feed while reading, you know, whatever articles online about the benefits of breastfeeding being easier in the middle of the night. When oh, I know. Yeah. So and then still at one month, triple feeding, getting a maximum of yeah. two hours of sleep. <laughs> yeah. And she's comparing what? that to her medical training. Yeah. And feeling ashamed of getting pain with breastfeeding I'm just like mm. <sighs> I like my heart is just like going out to her a it's horrible to have pain when you're breastfeeding but to feel ashamed of it there's some kind of issue that's not being addressed like like a you know physical physiological <sighs> so I mean I have not been through medical school, so I cannot speak to this, but I do understand. I've heard that it's rather grueling. And to, she's mentioning the grit and perseverance that she used to get through her medical training had helped yeah. her to this point. But is this a, then she gets to the one month visit and is told that the baby is still gaining minimally. Yeah. Like <laughs> the pediatrician that, that... says, keep doing what you're doing. Oh, I don't understand because if you're already pumping, you're breastfeeding, pumping, and bottle feeding, like there should be some guidance as to how much volume you need to give the baby. There needs to be some kind of monitoring to make sure that the baby is taking it in. Nobody's observing a feed. Presumably they have a lactation consultant at this practice, but I don't understand. I, I don't hear any mention of that person. 
And, you know, rightly looking at the outcome of this, keep doing what you're doing. Clearly this is not working because only 25% Mm -hmm. of women in the U S breastfeed exclusively for the recommended period. Hmm. Slightly better in New Zealand, Hmm. but not by much. Hmm. Like the grit and perseverance people need to get through medical training like I think it is what a lot of mums have to get through that triple feeding cycle mm. of doom. You know, you managing on not much sleep and you just grit your teeth and carry on. But uh, I, I, I just think, again, if you start someone on a treatment plan, and it's not working, you're not getting the desired outcome, so the baby's still not gaining well enough, whatever that is. Like you need to be reassessing, especially something this intensive, you'd get them back or you'd be in touch regularly to reassess, you'd weigh the baby. But she does this until three months. Three months she's doing this? I'm just... First of all, that's, that is grit and perseverance, and I, I can yeah. applaud that. But at what cost? Yeah. And yeah. why can't it be done in a way that's not so brutal? Hmm. And it it's can not, be. Um, it's not like that in New Zealand medical school, but, like, I did a, um overseas elective in Canada, oh, and right. their medical students were showing up on the ward at, like, 5 in the morning to read up on all the patients and... I think they wake them up to examine them before the official ward round, which already starts at like seven or some oh my goodness. terribly early hour. And then they'll spend the day you know, learning, observing, helping, doing things. And then they go home and study and then they do it all again the next day. So like, you know, <laughs> This is it kind sounds of what awful. That level of commitment is, and and yeah, some some students do that here as well, and and that's like a that's that whole try harder mentality, right? Which I mean, she does get to exclusive breastfeeding at three months, and as such, is considered to have succeeded. But, but at what cost? Because she can't continue. This Mm -hmm. really intensive, high-pressure cycle of doom is not going to be sustainable. And it's not pleasant. Like, why would you continue doing something? Like, the whole thing about breastfeeding, the way that it kind of works, is that when it's going as, you know, it's supposed to, you get a reward of this lovely oxytocin boost. The baby looking into your eyes, looking satiated, eyes rolling back, milky drunk face. All of these things are meant to be um, like stimulating your reward center. Mm -hmm. Like your brain gets a happy boost from this. Yeah. And if if you don't get that, if you're just kind of, you know, stuck to the pump. And having to go through, got to get this baby off the breast so I can pump, so I can have more milk to top up. 
when are the top ups going to stop? When are the, what are, what is an alternative to this? Mm. I think that's a, a so very common questions. story with like a low milk production scenario. Mm. Like women just feel like they spend all their time trying to make milk or trying to extract milk from their bodies struggling with you know breastfeeding pain who knows if she's still using a nipple shield at this stage probably hurts to feed the baby and it's probably hurting to pump and so she's missing out on that the relaxed cuddles just holding the baby the nice part yeah like she's kind of left with and and people say you know I can't hold my baby because I have to pump and then when they're struggling to breastfeed, they often enjoy the bottle feeds more and somebody else is doing the bottle feeding because they're pumping. And it's just like all hard work and suffering and pain. The the cycle is wrong. It's not not a cycle that is, it's not motivating. It's not sustainable. Yeah. And this is why I don't support that. Like I think a lot of people think breastfeeding supporters or advocates are advocating for breastfeeding at all costs but Mm. that is definitely not what you know you or I believe in for sure no no it's not at the expense of that mother-baby relationship I think it's important but I think like we need better structures to support it better access to care, investigations, treatment options, we need milk banks. Then you can talk about, you know, reaching a, you know, obviously not like unethical marketing or undermining practices. Right. Like that's a whole package thing, not a everyone should exclusively breastfeed and it's all on a mum to like get there on her own with minimal help. No. Keep doing what you're doing and try harder. Like No. Well, and I think that might be a topic for a a future episode of Mm. helping women stop breastfeeding and the role Mm. that we have in supporting that. Thanks for listening to our episode. There will be a part two as we discuss our thoughts about the second half of the article. I just wanted to add that um, while I was a bit harsh on the general quality of um, medical mummy blogs when it comes to um, breastfeeding and infant feeding there are uh, a few good support groups that are available for um, medical parents in North America there is um, the Dr Milk group which now has over 44,000 members Um, there is also a similar group in the UK and one in Australia and New Zealand which uh, we're set up to support medical mothers and medical parents to breastfeed. There is, of course, the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, um, which is more of a professional body. However, um, it will be an interesting discussion for a later podcast, I think. Um, we often get Um, educated to maintain sort of professional uh, strict boundaries between um, personal and professional lives as in not offering medical advice to friends and family. Um, However I do see this interesting um, blurring of boundaries when it comes to um, breastfeeding management 
which I think just reflects on how um, how poorly breastfeeding management tends to be done. So those of us um, with an interest in this field often feel like we um, can't really trust that our friends and families are getting the best evidence practice care possible, which, um, you know, is not really um, an ideal way of dealing with the situation. But yes, we obviously all want our friends and families in particular to have, um, to enjoy um, a lovely non-traumatic breastfeeding and infant feeding journey. Anyway, um, uh, tune tune back in to catch the second half of um, the conversation between Teresa and I. Just a quick boring disclaimer, none of the information discussed in the podcast is um, is supposed to be medical advice. If after listening to this podcast you have any specific questions, feel free to reach out. We'll put our email address in the show notes. 